The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Just then, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. What do you read there? He replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. It just so happened that a priest was going down that way. But when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, in the same way. A Levite also happened to go there, but when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he felt sorry for the man. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own animal, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, when he left, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. Whatever extra you spend, I will repay you when I return. Which of these three do you think acted like a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he replied. Then Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. So, how about that Samaritan? He sure is a good guy, isn't he? The Samaritan is so good that they've named laws after him. Good Samaritan laws that compel you to help someone who is in immediate physical danger, which I've always found kind of strange, because when you read the actual story of the Good Samaritan, you don't get the impression that he thought, I better help this guy or I'll get in trouble. They'll lock me up if I don't help him. But anyway, he's so good, they name laws after him. The Samaritan is so good that he is kind of a credit to his entire race of Samaritans. Like if we played word association and you said Samaritan, just generic, any old Samaritan, the first word out of my mouth would be good. The whole Samaritan race becomes good by association with this man. My handy EHV Bible, the heading for this story says the good Samaritan. My old NIV Bible says the parable of the good Samaritan. Now that, that's a little presumptuous because it doesn't actually say if Jesus is telling a parable, a made-up story, or if he's just relating a, an actual event that happened. But either way, everybody agrees this Samaritan is good. Interestingly, though, there is one person who never calls the Samaritan good. Jesus Christ, who tells this story, possibly parable, if you read it carefully, you'll see Jesus never once describes the Samaritan as good. Because Jesus' purpose for telling this story, the reason he tells it is not so much to exalt the Samaritan, to hold up the Samaritan and say, look, what a wonderful guy this is. 
Jesus' main purpose for telling this story is not to hold somebody up. It is to humble somebody who needs to be humbled. His purpose is to crush somebody, really. There's an expert in the law who needs Jesus to humble him, to crush him, really. Just then, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see this expert in the law, he is operating with the assumption that there is some level of goodness beneath perfection that a person can reach in order to inherit eternal life and enter heaven. Most people in our world today are living under this same assumption. You don't have to be perfect to get into heaven, you just have to reach a certain level of good enough. And people think this way even though it, it really doesn't make any sense to believe that a holy, perfect God would allow anything less than perfection into his presence ever, let alone to live with him for eternity. People still figure you don't have to be perfect, you just have to be good enough. And the problem with that is nowhere in the Bible does God give us any standard to inherit eternal life other than perfection. If you want to get in on your own merit, you have to be perfect. So now... Jesus, this is the truth that he's trying to gently nudge this expert toward. He's trying to get the expert to see, if you want to get into heaven based on what you do, you have to be perfect, nothing less than that. What is written in the law, Jesus asked him. What do you read there? The expert replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and... Love your neighbor as yourself. Now this expert, they don't call him an expert for nothing. He has just expertly summarized, very neat and tidy, the entire moral law of God. The first three of the Ten Commandments tell you what you owe to God. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Perfect devotion always is what you owe to God. The last seven of the Ten Commandments tell you what you owe to your neighbor, to the person next to you. You owe that person the same love that you would want for yourself. Perfect love in each and every situation. So now Jesus says to the expert, that's it. That's all you got to do. If you want to inherit eternal life, all you got to do is give God the perfect devotion that you owe him all the time and give to your neighbor perfect love. He answered him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But of course, the expert hasn't done this. No one has. Uh, the expert was conceived and born in sin. He hasn't done this. He hasn't kept these laws perfectly. You and I are conceived and born in sin. We have not given God perfectly everything that we owe him. And we have not given our neighbor the perfect love that we owe them. But is the expert about to give up? Is he about to realize that he can't be perfect, so he better look for this perfection that he needs in another place? Is he about to realize that he can't do this, and will he give up? No, sirs and ma'ams, he's not going to give up that easy. But he wanted to justify himself. See, he still wants to get there on his own. He knows he can't be perfect, he can't reach that standard, but he still figures there's got to be some other standard beneath perfection that he can get to. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, Jesus, we need some guidelines here. 
We need some limits on these rules because, of course, I can't be perfect. Of course, I can't love my neighbor as myself all the time. But Jesus, if you'll just let me draw some lines here across God's law, if you'll just let me put some limits on it, then maybe I could still be good enough. And that's when Jesus tells him the story, possibly parable, of the Good Samaritan that Jesus never calls good. Because again, the purpose here is not really for Jesus to hold up the Samaritan. It is to show this expert in the law and to show all sinful people perfection is what God requires. The right answer to the question, who is my neighbor, is everyone. Always. Now, Before we get into the story itself, there's a couple of cultural things that will make the story more meaningful. You and I today, in the United States of America, we enjoy the ability to travel from place to place with a great deal of safety and ease and speed. And I know if you're a cynical person right now, all kinds of thoughts are coming into your head about, yeah, but traffic in this part of the country and, and rising crime rates and canceled flights all over the place. We're so spoiled. We complain about these things because we're soft. In the grand scheme of history, Travel has never been safer, faster, or easier than it is for you and me today. It was not for the people who lived in Israel at Jesus' time. Most people traveled on foot most of the time. And they traveled up and down rocky paths that were steep. And of course, they did it without cell phones. So they couldn't go for help if they broke an ankle. If they got lost, nobody could ping their cell phone and go find them. And not only that, but these paths that people walked on had highway robbers all over the place that could spring out, rob people, and beat them up. It's happened all the time in Jesus' world. And this particular route that Jesus uses in his story was notorious for this. The route from Jerusalem to Jericho had wonderful hiding spots for criminals all over the place that could jump people. So when Jesus is telling this story, the first couple lines would be no surprise. To the people who were listening. This kind of thing happened all the time. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. But never fear, never fear, because here comes a man of God onto the scene. Here comes a man of the cloth, a holy man. So certainly our friend who needs help, certainly he'll be helped. He'll be saved now. This is the part of the story that would surprise the people who were listening. It just so happened that a priest was going down that way, but when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So not only does this holy man not help, but he circles over to the other side of the road to avoid the possibility of catching cooties or something. Clearly, when this guy answers the question, who is my neighbor, he draws lines on God's law. At least sometimes when he answers that question, the answer is, well, not that guy. And then another holy man, another man of the cloth, arrives on the scene in the same way. A Levite also happened to go there, but when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So how does this Levite man of God answer the question, who is my neighbor? He draws some lines too. He says, not that guy. How do we answer that question? Just who is my neighbor, exactly? Who's yours? Recently, I've been corresponding with an army medic 
who is about to finish their fourth tour in the Middle East. For security reasons, this person can't tell me a whole lot about exactly where they are, exactly what they do. But once I asked the question, what would you say is the hardest part of what you have to do? And it took a long time for an answer to come back, so I was afraid maybe I had asked some kind of disrespectful question or overstepped my bounds. And finally, the answer that came back was, sometimes I have to save people, try to save people who just got done shooting at me. Now, we all have people in our lives, figuratively speaking, figuratively speaking, we all have people who take shots at us. We all know people who don't like us, people who want to make our lives hard, people who want to hurt us. And those are the people that make it very easy for us to want to put limits on God's law to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those people make it really easy to say, who's my neighbor? Not you. But understand, that's not even what's happening in this story. The priest and the Levite who walk past this man, this is not their enemy. This is not somebody who has taken shots at them and tried to make their lives difficult. This is just a stranger. This is just a human being, somebody they don't know who needs help. And even there, with a stranger, even there they draw a line and say, not that guy. And you and I, it's not just our enemies for whom we answer this question the wrong way. Sometimes it's just a stranger, somebody who's never done anything wrong to me in my life. And even there, I don't treat them like a neighbor. For Pete's sake, sometimes it's even my friends. It's the people who have been doing good to me for my whole life that I don't have time for. Sometimes it's immediate family members that I can't be bothered with. See, we do this with all kinds of people, not just our enemies, but our strangers, our friends, our family members. So, at least, let's not make this mistake. Let's not try to do what the expert in the law was doing. Let's not try to justify ourselves. Don't even ask the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We can just forget that because there are no limits on God's law to love your neighbor as yourself. Perfection is required. Now we get to hear the rest of the story. Understanding that this is not the first time you've heard the rest of the story and you already heard it once during this worship service. To avoid the temptation of just letting your brain shut down as you hear the rest of the story and just saying, yeah, I get it, be nice, I got it. To avoid that temptation, Occupy your mind as you listen to the rest of the story. Keep your mind occupied by asking yourself, this Samaritan fellow, does he remind me of anyone else I know? And if so, how? A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he felt sorry for the man. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own animal, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. So here we have this thing again where you have to try to do ancient currency to modern currency. Three or four hundred dollars is in the ballpark. He took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever extra you spend, I will repay you when I return. So how does the Samaritan answer the question, who is my neighbor? His answer clearly is, everybody. Because the man he finds at the side of the road, this is not his friend, this is not his family member, and you can say, well, it's just a stranger, right? But, by all rights, the Samaritan should really count this man as an enemy because Jews and Samaritans do not like each other at all. 
Jews and Samaritans do not get along. So the man he stops to help is someone he should count as an enemy. And yet when he sees the man, he feels sorry for him. And he doesn't just take care of him, but he gives him care that is personal and tender and thorough. He puts the man on his own animal, which means the Samaritan himself is probably now walking at the side. He makes an advanced payment for the man's extended care with a promise to pay more later if necessary. Does that kind of care and love remind you of anyone else you know? How about the one who is telling this story? Jesus sees the entire human race in big trouble. He sees us, in the words of Scripture, spiritually dead, lost, and blind. We weren't half dead spiritually at the side of the road. We were done for. Spiritually dead in Satan's grasp. Jesus sees the human race in this condition, and he feels for us. And he comes to help us and to give us the exact help that we need. Jesus Christ is the perfect neighbor. He is the one who answers the question, who is my neighbor, with everyone. And when Jesus comes down and walks on this earth, he is a perfect neighbor to everyone always. You understand, as Jesus tells this, neighbor, this story to the expert in the law, it might seem like Jesus is being harsh with this man. He is actually being a perfect neighbor as he tells this story. Jesus loves this expert in the law. He wants him to look in the right place for eternal life. That is why he is telling him this story. Jesus is a perfect neighbor to him. He is a perfect neighbor to his friends, his disciples, his family. Jesus is the perfect neighbor to strangers, social outcasts that nobody else could be bothered with. Jesus stops and takes time with them. He is even a perfect neighbor to people who take shots at him, people who are trying to hurt him and trap him and kill him. Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbor with everyone? And you see, there is the perfection you need to enter eternal life. It is the perfect life of Jesus Christ. He lived it for you. Believe it, that perfection is yours. And Jesus Christ goes to the cross to bleed and die, to take the punishment for all the sins of every human being. Every time we have drawn lines on God's law, Jesus saves every human being past present, and future. He is the perfect saving neighbor who always answers the question the right way. And now, that perfect saving neighbor of ours asks, which of these three do you think acted like a neighbor to the one who fell among the robbers? And I'm sure we'd agree with the expert who said, the one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Understand that to a person like this expert who wants to be good enough to get into heaven, that closing command, go and do likewise, that is terrifying. How am I supposed to go and do likewise? I can't do this on my own. Left to my own devices, I am not going to go out and live like that Samaritan or live like Jesus Christ. But you and I know the perfect neighbor, Jesus Christ. Jesus lives in our hearts by faith. By faith, that perfect neighbor who always answers the question the right way, he is in you and me. The love and power of Christ are dwelling in our hearts. So, the right answer to this question is inside of us.
And so is the power of Christ to go out and live our lives the same way. That whoever we see, whether it is a friend or a stranger or an enemy, wherever we see them, whether it is at home or on the road, whenever we see them, whether it's a time that it's easy and convenient or a time that is annoying and inconvenient, and whatever they need, even the extra mile, that is the heart of the Samaritan, and it is the heart of our Savior Jesus who lives in us. He is in us by faith, so the right answer to this question is in us. And so is Christ's power to go and do likewise. Amen.